morning. Uh, I'm Andrew B. I'm the senior pastor here, and if you were here last week, I was hobbling around. I am very happy to report I'm much better. Uh, so I've been running around this morning. It's been a little bit of a crazy morning. That's okay, but if I have sweat spots already under my armpits, just patience, grace, you know, understanding, that'll be good and appreciated. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8 today. I thought uh, before we get done with humility, we ought to dip our toe into the Old Testament and uh, see what the Old Testament has to say on this topic of humility. And so we've been in this series looking at our seven shared member values. Uh, These values that we say uh, we want to hang on to together, we want to allow them to guide us uh, just in our life together to uh, really kind of orient us on the same page as members here at Meadows. And so uh, I hope that Uh, This has been beneficial just in terms of understanding why we have seven shared values and uh, what they are and then how to live them out. It's uh, kind of fun. We're coming up to the halfway point. And so this morning, we're kind of, kind of, we're going to bridge between humility and trust. So at some point, you might go, wait a second, I thought we were talking about humility and you're talking about trust. We're going to tie those two together. But let me start this way. Let me start with this question. Do you believe Jesus Christ has more for you? Has more for your family, has more for your marriage, has more for our church than what you currently experience? Wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever you find yourself in life, whatever you're being faced with right now, whatever tensions there are in your world, Whatever difficulties you're facing, do you believe that Jesus Christ has more for you? For your family, for your marriage, for our church. I I, I pick those four things out because God has called each one of us. And I believe that with all my heart today, that God calls individuals, but he doesn't call them to be lone rangers. He calls them into a family. And he has ordained certain organizations on earth to propel his mission forward. I believe they're the family, parents with children. Now, if you're single here today or if you don't have children, God meets you in that. God uses you in that. In fact, we're going to look at a New Testament saint, the Apostle Paul, this morning. You go, wait a second, I thought we were in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah try to pull all these threads together. But the Apostle Paul never married, he never had a family, and he did incredible things for God. So, so maybe let me start with young people today, because there's a few of you out there. Young people, do you believe as a young person that you can set a spiritual example for people of all ages that would compel people to find and follow Jesus? Do you you believe that Jesus has more for you as a young person that would enable you to set an example, to blaze a trail wherever you're at that would be so impactful that people of all ages, older, younger, would look at you and go, wow, I want to follow Jesus because of that person. Do Do you believe that today? That Jesus has that for you? That Jesus offers that to you? I believe that uh, single people, you have such an important role in the body of Christ. If If you feel like God is calling you to be single, would you embrace that? 
Because there is an ability to be so laser-focused on the things of God that you can have an uncommon impact. So, single person, do you believe that your faithful courage and focused devotion to Christ can change the course of the world? Do you believe that as a single person? Families. Man, parents and children, this is an institution that God has ordained, that God has blessed, that God has used over and over and over throughout history. Do you believe as a family? And maybe if you're sitting with your family today, would you just maybe give them a nudge? Would you just maybe, you know, say, hey, let's listen to this together? As, as families... Do you believe that you could have such a spiritual impact together as parents and children living in light of Christ? Do you believe that you could have such a spiritual impact it would change your neighborhood and your workplace and your school and all of the other spheres of your life forever? Married couples... If you're sitting with your spouse, would you just put your arm around him? Would you give him a little squeeze? Because marriage is this institution that God has ordained to be a display of his glory. Bringing two people together that that come from such diverse backgrounds and yet unifying them in this institution of marriage, in this covenant of marriage, so that unity and love are on display so that God gets glory. Do you believe that you could have such a dynamic and vibrant relationship that the that God's glory and love would be on display in such a way that your family, your friends, and your neighbors would come to Jesus just by watching? If people just watched your marriage, if they could see into your home, if they saw you in the backyard, if they saw you interacting at the store, if they heard your conversations, would they look at your marriage and go, wow, what is that glory that I see? What is that light? What is that love that I see? Do you believe that Jesus can do that in you? Because that's what he wants to do. Meadows Christian Fellowship Do you believe that Jesus has more for us to do, that that we haven't peeked out yet, that there's more to be about? Do you believe that through the unity of this diverse body, in spiritual vitality, as flourishing comes about, that we could forever change Rolling Meadows, Illinois, the United States, and the world? Now, now I'm not saying that American capitalism is going to be the entity that wins the day. No, no, no. The kingdom of God. Do you believe that as a church we could experience such spiritual vitality that Rolling Meadows, that Illinois, that the United States, that the world would somehow be able to trace back to this little place, this tiny little church that struggles, that wrestles, Do you believe that Jesus Christ could do such a thing here that we could have that kind of impact? 
that churches and people around the world, around the country, around our state, around our city would point to this place and go, I don't know what's going on there, but man, it's impacted my life and it's changed me forever. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has more for you than what you're currently experiencing? Do you have a sense of that today? Do you have a vision of that today? Deuteronomy is uh, one of my favorite Old Testament books. And, and maybe because it's just one really, really long sermon, and I go, see, I could preach for days! Because Moses, he's, he's at the end of his life, chapter 1 tells us. He, he knows that it's coming to an end. And so he pulls the people of Israel together. And the first four chapters are, are like the introduction. They're like, hey, remember last week when we talked about, except it's, remember 40 years ago when we talked about this? And then in chapter 5, he starts a sermon that goes all the way to the end of the book. So I thought we'd just read from chapter 5 to chapter 33 this morning, and we just kidding. But at the end of chapter 8, or really at the beginning of chapter 8, those first 10 verses, I think he finishes his introduction. I think that's his introduction into all that he's going to say, and he finishes his introduction here, and he says this at verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. I, I think so often we hear this as a negative condition. And this is a conditional promise, but we, we hear it in the negative. We go, oh, if I could obey, then I would enjoy this. Oh, but I can't. I messed up again, so is there any hope for me to experience what Jesus Christ has for me? But I hope that this morning we could hear this in the positive voice that I think Moses puts it in. He's saying to the people, do you want to experience all that God promised to you? Because he's promised and he's faithful and he's guaranteed. He made a promise and he's faithful. He's going to bring it about. Do you believe that God has this for you, people of Israel? And today I just extend that into the New Testament and say, people of Meadows, do you believe that Jesus Christ has more for you than you currently experience? That's the question that Moses is asking the people. We've been in the wilderness 40 years. Do you believe that God can do more than this? And if you want to taste it, if you want to taste life, if you want to taste multiplication, if you want to go in and possess the promises of God for you, do this, obey. Walk in these things. God's laid it out so clearly. He said, hey, I have so much more for you to experience. Would, would you just walk in this way? Moses spells it out at the end of this section, starting in verse 7. He, he tells them what they have in store. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. 
a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity or lack, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He says, here's the thing, we're standing on this side of this land. But God's promised us something more. God's promised us that we're going to experience something more that will just so satisfy us like nothing else could compare to this. If we experience the promises of God for us today, it will satisfy like nothing else. And in turn, we will worship the Lord like never before. Can you imagine like the perfect worship service? Okay, sometimes around here we're we're pretty good. Other times, okay, I get that. But can you imagine the perfect worship service for you? Well, it'd be full of hymns. No, 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 it'd be full of a rockin' band. Okay, whatever it means for you, imagine the perfect worship service. The joy that you experience there. The encouragement that you experience there. The the way that you walk from that place. God goes, I want you to experience all that I have for you. All that I've promised to give you so that you can then in turn worship me and this begins this cycle of perpetual satisfaction. Perpetual enjoyment. Perpetual peace. And you might say, well, well, Pastor Andrew, that's called heaven. Yep, it is. And I think many of the pictures of the promised land are pointing us to that. I think they're pointing us to the day when we'll be brought into the promised land. And yet, Jesus himself pulls that back to us and goes, no, no, I make promises for you now. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. Okay, I, I, I'm not talking that the promises of God are to make your life easy. No. I, I think we have to hear the question about the promises of God based on what we see depicted in Scripture. So what is the promise of God? Jesus, with his disciples, he said, hey, in this world, you're going to have some hard times. Okay, so we can pretty much rule out health, wealth, and prosperity. He said, you're going to have difficulty, but hey, have good hope, have good courage, take heart, because I have overcome the world. He says, I came that you would have life. Not not life someday, that you would have life today, abundant life even, that you would have life to the full, that it would be overflowing, that your experience of me... In the moments of your life, your actual flesh and blood life, before I come again and take you to heaven where we'll enjoy the perfection of all things, you can enjoy 
abundant life. Okay, but that's not health, wealth, and prosperity. So what do we see depicted in Scripture? Enter the Apostle Paul. Think about his life. He is the picture of the abundant life. He is uh, the apostle that we see more of his life than any other apostle. And so we, we, we know his devotion to Christ. We know his faith in Christ. We know his understanding of the teachings of Christ. And so we could look at his life and go, that's abundant life. Think about his life. I mean, we could look at a couple of passages and hear that he's beaten more times than I care to count. He's shipwrecked. He's left for dead. He's starving. He's... That's, that's abundant life. But, but see, he's clung to Jesus Christ. And he's allowed Jesus Christ to clarify his perspective about what abundant life is. So Jesus Christ, here's his call to us. Here's his magnificent invitation to us today. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Do you think those, those words, like, ministered to Paul in, in those moments of difficulty? Do you, do you think he called those to mind and said, okay, Jesus, here I am? And it's a burden right now. I'm trying to minister to some messed up people. I just got dragged out of the synagogue again. I was just told that if I go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be in prison in Rome. And probably be killed for my faith. Yeah, I feel a burden. I feel heavy laden. So I come, Jesus, for what? Jesus says, for rest. For rest. And then he goes on to say, and take my yoke upon you. Do do my work, my way. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. He knows humility. For my yoke is easy to bear. Something happened in Paul's life when he would approach Jesus that way. And and he knew that he could because Jesus adds to that a promise. And I will never leave you alone. Paul, in the depths of suffering we can't even imagine, would call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a burden. I'm heavy laden. Would you give me rest? I want to do your work. I want to do it your way. Would you make that easy? And I know that you're with me, so let's keep going. I asked several people this week how they would describe abundant life. I got a lot of answers But one rocked my world. And it was from my son, Riley. I said, Riley, what do you think uh, abundant life in Christ is? And he thought for a minute and he said, I I don't really have the words to describe it. But I know what it feels like. He said, you you know when you've kind of hit a hard spot. And you just want somebody to wrap their arms around you. 
and to say, it's okay to let out whatever emotion you have. If you need to cry, you can cry. If you need to yell, you can yell. If you need to just sit quietly in my embrace, you can do that. Whatever emotions need to come out right now, you can do that. And you're safe right here. I got you. He goes, that's abundant life to me. That's what Jesus does for me. And when I feel that in you or mom or somebody else, I feel comforted and I feel encouraged. I feel emboldened that now I can pick up from where I am and I can press on. Isn't isn't that a beautiful picture of abundant life? That Jesus goes, it's going to be hard in this world, but you know what? You can come to me and experience such deep rest and such deep encouragement and such deep empowerment that you will keep going with hope and peace and joy. That just confounds your circumstances. That's abundant life what we see in the Apostle Paul, and that is what Jesus wants you to experience today. The result of that, I believe, as the Apostle shows, is incredible courage and incredible impact. When we are comforted by Christ, and sometimes through the arms of one another as the body of Christ, when we are comforted in that way, when we are energized by the abundant life that flows through Jesus Christ to us in moments of hardship, anxiety, suffering, or even in moments of great joy, we have courage that will carry us through. And we make an impact that we could never imagine. That's what Jesus wants you to experience. That's the picture of the people of God going into the promised land. This abundant provision so that they could powerfully display the glory of God in their midst. He tells them on several occasions, you're my people, and when other people look at you, if you're walking in obedience with me, what they're going to see is a people of power, and they're going to see me as a good God. Incredible courage and incredible impact. Now, here's how I think Deuteronomy 8 helps us. And here's the connection between humility and trust. Verse 2. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Here's, I think, the formula of this verse. Adversity gives opportunity for humility. Adversity gives opportunity for humility. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, he takes his people out and he goes, here's what I want to build in you. I want to build trust in you. But that's going to start in a little different place. Patrick Lencioni, a business guru, he's written many books 
He says this, at the core of organizational health, at the foundation of just about everything having to do with the principles in just about every book I've written is the concept of trust. Without it, a leadership team can't become cohesive, and without that, an organization can't become healthy and can't come anywhere close to reaching its potential. When I ask the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ has more for you, for your family, for your marriage, for our church, than we're currently experiencing? And I connect that to the people of Israel on the cusp of the promised land. The thing that God wants to get at is, do you trust me? Because without trust, we're never going to experience the full potential. We're never going to experience all that God desires to pour out to us. And and that's true in every relationship that I've mentioned. In our church, we are not going to experience all that God wants to do with us unless together we trust God and trust each other. That's hard to do If I'm honest, I don't trust some of you because I've been hurt by some of you. I've heard gossip. I've heard slander. I've heard dissension. I've met with enough of you to know that there are some of you that don't trust others of you. And so I go, this is an obstacle because we don't trust each other. We'll never experience all that God wants to do without trust. Trust in God, trust in each other. Married couples, you will never experience what God wants to do in your marriage without trust. Trust in God and trust in one another. And you might be saying, you don't understand, Pastor Andrew, the violation of trust, the brokenness of trust in our relationship. Okay. We'll start there, but just hear me. You're never going to experience what God desires for you to experience unless you trust. That's what verse 2 is saying. Trust is the key. Your family Your family is never going to experience all that Jesus Christ wants to do in your family unless you trust each other, and together you trust God. In your singleness, you're never going to experience all that God wants to do through you unless you trust in your youth. You're never going to experience all that God wants to do through you unless you trust. And I know trust. Trust is so hard. But trust begins with humility. And adversity gives opportunity for humility. Uh, Again, just look at verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Now, we're not talking about humility. We're talking about being humbled. But I interpret that to say that God is giving an opportunity for you to show humility. Well, how did he do that? How did he provide an opportunity? How did he bring about humility in your life? Well, in adversity, that's the wilderness. 
the wilderness was a hard place. The wilderness was adversity. And, and God's saying through Moses that in the wilderness I gave you an opportunity for humility. Now, humility, by its very nature, embraces and expresses vulnerability. Humility, in its very nature, embraces and expresses vulnerability. What do I mean by that? Humility, in its moment of realization, in that willingness to examine, to examine, correct, and direct our own actions, attitudes, and affections so that we can, with increasing consistency, exalt Christ and serve one another. In those moments of humility, we have to embrace vulnerability. We think of vulnerability often as what we share with one another, but vulnerability is much bigger than that. Vulnerability really is our state of life. Okay, so it's vulnerable for me to get up here and preach on Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, I'm vulnerable because what vulnerability means is I'm open to hurt or pain. I've opened myself to the possibility of being hurt or, or, or to the possibility of danger because you all can form an opinion about me every Sunday morning. That's true of you when you go into work. You are vulnerable as soon as you walk through the door. That's true in every relationship that you have. You are vulnerable. Now, we can either embrace that or we can reject that. And when we reject that, what that looks like is hard-heartedness or pride or self-protection. All of that is the opposite of humility. So when we reject vulnerability, when we reject the state that we, we are in harm's way all the time because people are judgmental and because we're putting ourselves out there no matter what we do, whether you turn in a paper at school or whether you are working on a project or whether you're just washing your car, your neighbor might look over the hedge and go, hmm, there's some spots on that thing. Maybe you haven't mowed your lawn this week. My grass was getting pretty high, and I looked around our neighborhood, and everybody else's grass was looking pretty good. And I thought, I'm vulnerable in this moment. That's our state of life. We are a vulnerable creation, and we either embrace that or we reject that. So humility in its natural state, this willingness to examine, correct, and direct our own actions, attitudes, and affections, so that with increasing consistency, sorry, I'm forgetting, according to the Scriptures, because this is our source. This is the one place we can come and know that we're known. This is the one standard that we can look at and go, yep, God knows exactly who I am, where I'm at. We live as vulnerable creatures, and humility embraces that. So when in the wilderness, as they're enduring suffering, as they're enduring hardship, God says, hey, I gave you an opportunity for humility. Were you in the wilderness willing to examine and correct and direct your hearts? Because what my testing did was it revealed... What's in your heart? 
The text says, testing you to know what was in your heart. The, the word know could be translated proof or reveal. But here's the thing, God already knew. So, so, so what's that about? God's exposing it to them. So the question is, in our willing examination of our lives, are we embracing vulnerability? Yes, I I don't have the right stuff. Yes, I don't have enough resources. Yes, I don't have enough courage. Yes, I, I don't have enough of what it takes for whatever I'm facing today. That is embracing your vulnerability. I think humility pushes us out one more step to express our vulnerability. Because when we embrace, and I think especially when we can express our vulnerability, when we can tell each other what we all already know is true, when we can share with another that I'm not enough, we know that's true of one another, don't we? There's no one in here who measures up. There's there's no one in here that has it all figured out or no one watching. Let's expand the audience. There's no one who is enough. We are all vulnerable. The question is, are we willing to embrace that and then to even go a step further to express that? Now, here's the result. When we see an opportunity for humility and we engage in that willing examination, and then we embrace what's revealed to us, that we're vulnerable, and then express that, the result is that trust is built. I've seen it every time. Every time I've seen someone be deliberately vulnerable, trust is is built. I'd say you cannot have vulnerability without humility, and you cannot have trust without vulnerability. And trust is the key that unlocks our experience of all that God desires to give. So when I ask you that question, do you believe that Jesus Christ has more for you, for your family, for your marriage, for our church, than what we are currently experiencing? The the answer is yes, but do we trust? He goes on, Moses goes on. In verse 3, he says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In their suffering, God provides. And it's all strategized. God has a plan figured out that will enable him to bless you abundantly to fulfill his promises to you. He says, hey, I'm going to let them get hungry, and then I'm going to provide for them. 
And in that, what I'm going to show them is that they can trust me. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man does not survive on his own efforts. Man does not make his own course. What man has to realize is that he's vulnerable. He's dependent on, oh, the Lord. The Lord provides. And so through every word that the Lord utters, and and we know throughout Scripture that his word is not only the printed word, but it's the person of Christ. It's the very action of God. He brings all things into creation through his word. His word is every way that he reveals himself to us to declare to us, I'm faithful to you. You can trust me. He goes on in verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Can you imagine that? You're out in the desert. We've all seen movies. You know, somebody's out there for 40 days and their their clothes are tattered. Their whole body is swollen. And God declares to them, would you remember these 40 years? Do you remember that your clothes did not wear out? Do you think that's normal? No, that's because I'm faithful to you. I'm with you. Your feet didn't even swell. You've been walking around in the hot desert sand for 40 years, and your feet haven't swollen a bit. I don't know if that's swollen or swelled. I don't know. But it's amazing. And he declares to them, I'm faithful. You can trust me. Know then in your heart... That as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. You can trust me in the midst of adversity. Please know that I have a good plan for you. I am faithful and I desire your good. You can trust me. You can trust me. It's what God declares over and over and over and over again. And so when the gospel comes to us, When Jesus comes to us and says, hey, if you're burdened and heavy laden, would you come to me and find rest? That is so counterintuitive to us. When we go, I have a burden and I'm heavy laden, I need to chase relief in every other direction but Jesus. But Jesus goes, no, 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 it's counterintuitive, but you can trust me. So come to me and I will give you rest. You believe that the work is hard? Well, then just check yourself. Examine your heart. Admit your vulnerability. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see courage and impact. It's backwards. It's counterintuitive. And yet we can trust him. So the question is, do you trust him? Verse 6. He says, so you shall keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his way and by fearing him. I believe that those are two expressions of trust. God, where you lead, I will follow. That's trust. I'll walk in your way. If you want us to go through the city of Jericho, we'll go that way because you're going to do that. 
and, and I'm going to fear you. I'm, I'm going to revere you. I'm going to, when you speak, I'm going to listen. I'm going to take heed. I will follow you, and I will take heed. I will trust you. I will do what you ask me to do. Verse 1, again, that, that's the formula to life and multiplication and abundant blessing. To trust and obey. Some of us in this room uh, remember a song that uh, put those words together. I wish it didn't become such a trite song because it's so true. You want to be happy in Jesus? You want to experience all that Jesus Christ has for you and your family and your marriage and our church? Well, then trust and obey. It's so interesting to me that throughout the rest of Moses' sermon, he connects love and obey. Love God and obey. Love God and obey God. Love God and obey God. But here, I think he says, trust God. You know why? Because you can't love if you don't trust. You can't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength if you don't trust God. You can't love your spouse if you don't trust your spouse. You can't love your family if you don't trust your family. We can't love our church if we don't trust our church. Now, here's the amazing thing to me. God has just drawn out that adversity gives opportunity for humility. It's it's such an amazing reality. Adversity gives opportunity for humility. I I don't know about you, but this last year has felt like adversity. And we're not done yet. And, And for some of you sitting here, like... The adversity that first comes to your mind is not COVID. We've lost loved ones. We've experienced hardship beyond wearing a mask. Marriages in our church are on the rocks, folks. Families in our church are on the rocks. It has been a hard year by anyone's definition. So let me encourage you with these words. Adversity gives opportunity for humility. Are you willing to check your heart? Through through this process, are you willing to go to Scripture and just examine, correct and direct your actions, attitudes, and affections? So that with greater consistency, you can exalt Christ and serve one another. And humility embraces vulnerability. I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. God, I'm coming to you. Would you wrap me in your warm embrace and encourage me so that I can be a person of uncommon courage and I can make an uncommon impact? Humility embraces vulnerability. It expresses vulnerability. And to express vulnerability is vulnerability. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something, and I don't know how you'll respond. 
That's hard, right? I wish this morning we could all just agree. I wish we could just all say with genuineness and and commitment that, hey, you know what? We're going to be vulnerable with each other and just trust that that we're all going to embrace vulnerability. We're all going to see everyone else, including ourselves, in a vulnerable place. So we're not going to judge you because I know I'm vulnerable. I'm not going to be harsh with you because I know I'm vulnerable. I'm not going to spread that around because I know I'm vulnerable. I'm not going to look at you differently because I know I'm vulnerable. If we could all together agree and embrace that. Humility embraces and expresses vulnerability and vulnerability builds trust. Here's my challenge for you today. Be vulnerable this week with one person. And maybe it's just one, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's uh, your closest friend. Would you just be vulnerable? Would you say, in this moment, because it's been hard and I've, I've experienced some difficulty and I'm feeling my vulnerability right now and I'm, I'm going to embrace that. I'm just going to say, I know I'm not enough. And because I trust God, because he's shown himself faithful, even if the other person hasn't shown themselves faithful, God has. Would you be vulnerable with one person? Would you share one thing that maybe you've never shared with that person before? And here's what I know from experience will happen. If vulnerability is met with vulnerability, trust is built. And in the context of trust, we will experience more of what Jesus has promised for you, for your family, for your marriage, and for our church. His glory and honor and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I just pray that you would help it to sink into our hearts. Father, I pray that um, that you would remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, through your word that you would declare that you've been faithful again in fresh ways to us. So that in these moments, these opportunities for humility, which we all have right now, we all have them right now, that we would have a willingness to examine ourselves according to the scriptures, that we would embrace our vulnerability, that we would express that, even if it's just a one person this week. And Lord, that we would see trust built. Father, trust is fragile. It's so more easily broken than built up. But Father, I pray that you would honor and bless our attempts to build trust. And Lord, that you would grow our trust as we look into your word, as you reveal yourself to us, that you would grow our trust in you to a place 
where we may even get to a place where we'd be vulnerable no matter what. Because we know that even if we're rejected by men, it's building trust with you and that we can still experience more and more and more and more of what you've promised us in Christ. For your glory, for our joy, Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.